This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 418, and today we are talking about books being released on June 13th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. I really wanted to say I'm Liberty Hardy, and I'm here with Anonymous Quaka because... <laughs> that's what I that's am in what, the document. That's what you are in the document, yeah. <laughs> but Vanessa, hello! Hi, I'm back. Welcome back! Thank you. It's been a, a journey. <laughs> I had some yeah. guests in my in my uh, absence that I believe were uh, record makers that Jeff was <laughs> that hadn't been on the show in 400 episodes. Yeah, made his debut. He did. Told lots of dad jokes. <laughs> That's what we love him for. That's why we keep him around. Yeah. But yeah, it's good to be back. Well, welcome. It's uh, I hear it's like colder in California right now than it is in Maine, which seems weird. My dudes. I, yeah, it's like a joke that I can never pack right when I come here. And part of it is because, as listeners probably know by now, I've been here for an extended taking care of a parent thing. And yeah, it's like California in June, right? So like you pack shorts and t-shirts. And um, no, I've been wearing the same like three hoodies for weeks because it's been in like the 50s and 60s. <laughs> and has not once gone over like 71. So and the mornings are cold. It's a thing. So that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Tanana Reeve do on Blue Sky talking about how she mm -hmm. needed a sweater or something in California. Yeah, the LA people are like really not well. <laughs> keeps That's like all I see on my social <laughs> media feed is people being like, day 100, you know, whatever 100 and blah, blah, blah. Of, like, it's it's a thing. Like, in SoCal, it's, it's called June Gloom. And it happens, but it's uh, been this way pretty much since whenever I got here. So like, May? And by now, like, it should be much warmer. So it's strange. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Gay weather. Well, speaking of different places around North America, uh, last week I forgot to mention that the area code that is 417 that matched our episode number was for the southwestern quadrant of Missouri. I'm sorry, people in Missouri. I, I got a little carried away uh, talking about books and forgot to mention it. And this week, episode 418, the matching area code is for the eastern portion of the Canadian province of Quebec, which is pretty close to Maine, where I am. Yeah. I have been to Quebec a couple of times, or at least to Montreal a few times, which is fun. I love Montreal. So hello to everyone in those two locations and to everyone everywhere else. I'm excited to talk about books today because I read one of my favorite books of the year for this show. Ooh. I mean, I didn't know it was going to be my favorite book of the year when I read it. Imagine if you could just already be told what your favorite books are going to read before <laughs> you pick them. Like, that would be amazing. Be like, just read these. But uh, no, that is exciting. But first, uh, Vanessa... To welcome you back, could you please tell us <laughs> about The Deep Dive? Absolutely. So yeah, The Deep Dive is a cool project that we've been working on for a bit now. If you are looking for 
like fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, which is the more official way of saying stuff that we really just feel like talking about that we think readers want to know more about, our collective experiences, fun deep dives into like little bookish niches, then you definitely want to check out the deep dive. We basically tap all of us experts. So we were kind of reaching out here to power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, bookish professionals, aka us, and writing these really great pieces where we get to go down those rabbit holes that we've been wanting to of a bookish nature. So it's a bi-weekly newsletter. It's meant to inform and inspire. It's delivered straight to your inbox. You can read one of the first ones for free right now, which is the Power Reader's Guide to Reading Logs and Trackers. That one's on the house. And if you go to bookriot.substack.com, you can check out the details and choose membership levels. And there is a free tier and a paid tier. Some other examples of ones that we've done recently are me going down the rabbit hole of my love for like water for chocolate and how it kind of inspired me to brush up on Mexican history. And Danica went down this amazing rabbit hole. I've said rabbit hole like four times now about the state of scratch and sniff publishing. So much fun. (laughs) So yeah, check it out at bookriot.substack.com. And that again is the deep dive. Awesome. And now I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite books of the year, after we hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I hope you're all ready. Buckle in because I'm going to say a lot of words about this book. I loved it so much. It is Loot, L-O-O-T, by Tanya James. It is so amazing. 
and I, I don't even want to tell you anything about it because I want you to know everything fresh because it's incredible. But I'm going to tell you about it because that is why I am here. But I read it and it went straight to my top five of the year. Reading it, like, as I started, my brain was, like, humming on the surface because I knew that I was reading something special that I was going to love so much, even at the beginning. And it's it's just so, so fantastic. It's set in 18th century India at the start. It's It's about... Well, real figures from history. I had to look a couple of these people up because I didn't know if they were real or not. But Tipu Sultan is the Tiger of Mysore. He was the, according to Wikipedia, I'm reading this from Wikipedia now because I didn't know this. He was the Indian Muslim ruler of the Kingdom of Mysore based in South India. He was also a pioneer of rocket artillery. So he had that going for him. And he was a real person. So now the story is about a young toy maker named Abbas who is invited to the palace or basically like told you're coming to the palace. It's like, it's a veiled, you know, invitation, I guess. He is the son of a tinkerer. He is, he's very young, 13 or 14, if I remember correctly. And the Sultan has found out about him from a eunuch from his palace who gets toys from him that Abbas makes and takes them back for the children at his palace. So Tipu summons him and tells him that He is to build a grand mechanical sculpture to celebrate the return of two of his sons. These two boys had been taken by the British for a while to ensure Tipu stuck to a treaty that he had signed. Um, And now they've been returned to the palace and he wants to celebrate. And he's introduced to Monsieur Deleuze, who is supposedly the greatest clockmaker in France, uh, who has been recruited to help Tipu learn about all the inventions that they are making in Europe. He feels like... He wants people from all over Europe to come to India and teach him all the stuff so he can have all the inventions that they have all over Europe. Um, and this is shortly after the time of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, who, as you know, lost their heads. Um, and Deleuze is an alcoholic. He is stuck in India now that France is threatening to execute any French immigrants who attempt to return. Uh, so he has to stay in India. He hasn't heard from his lover in a year And he's kind of sad about the world, but he sees a lot of promise in this young man, Abbas. So they set about making what the Sultan wants, a life-sized mechanical tiger, an automaton, uh, that roars and pounces on an English soldier. Like, this is like the 1700s we're talking about, they have to make this thing. But, you know, clockworkings, and they have all these little mechanical things going on. Um, And this is all so strange for Abbas, because... Being a peasant in the kingdom, you know, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. It's all so amazing all of a sudden. Um, there's also the possibility that the sultan may execute him for reasons I won't go into. So he's got that hanging over his head. Um, but this is like a dream for him. He stays and he learns French and he hones his crafts with delays and he falls in love. And eventually the execution orders in France are lifted and delays invites Abbas to come live in Paris with him. Um, but during this time that like had passed since they make the tiger, the British have invaded. Tipu's palace has been ransacked and the tiger is missing. And Abbas decides he will head to England in search of his first grand creation to bring it home, which takes him to the English countryside where he hears it is being kept. I've already said too much. This is like a heist novel. It's a love story. It's history. It's so... Did I mention it was so good? It's so good. Right. I had to look up a few words, which I really enjoy when I'm reading a book. Not like when you have to look up every word 
you know, every other sentence, uh, like, uh, no disrespect to the dead, but, uh, Martin Amos, but just like here and there, like I learned that, uh, I didn't learn how to pronounce it, but I did learn that a Zanana is the part of the house for the seclusion of women, uh, which is where all his toys were going. Um, I just think it's fun to look up a word occasionally. You get to learn. And it's just, James's writing is astounding. You know, she shows the beauty in the middle of all this horribleness, you know, because it's war and it's poverty. And you have the Sultan who is pushing back against British rule um, and pushing back against the British, which is good and good for his people. But also he executes people on a whim. He's very selfish. You know, he no, people are starving and he's got all this money, you know. So he, the complexities and the characters bolster this like original, fascinating plot. It's just it's strikingly original and lush. You know, it's a great novel about colonialism and war and class and love, and it's a heist novel. I am, I think I'm in love with this novel a little bit. I think I am. Uh, I do want to give content warnings that include racism, colonialism, war, violence, and murder, homophobia, sexism, substance use and abuse, and suicide. I love this book. It is Loot by Tanya James. According to Libby, in 13 short weeks, I will have this because I was sold immediately. And so I put it on hold, but I have to wait. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, that cover <laughs> is <right>. awesome. <laughs> Look, the tiger is like leaping through the words. It's great. Oh, it's so good. Good job, Liberty. You have sold me. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to do a quick little bit of uh, housekeeping before I begin to talk about the books that I'm equally excited about. But in interest of full disclosure, because I've been kind of going <laughs> through some stuff with family, and I think it's important to mention that we are all human and that that it's okay. And sometimes we have to, you know, make changes to accommodate while we're going through a thing that is not, you know, ordinary that I have not read more than 15 pages of a single one of my books today. And that's okay. I'm really excited about all of them. They are ones that I have, you know, teared up uh, or queued up, I guess, and that I wanted y'all to know about. But just again, full disclosure, I haven't read, so I can't give trigger warnings for any of them. Um, but I wanted to return to the show and again, talk about them because I have actually been eagerly anticipating these. And so yay, yay books, yay Muppet Arms. Here we go. So my first one is actually one that came out last week and that I was very jazz hands. No one had gotten a chance to talk about it yet. And that is St. Juniper's Folly by Alex Crespo. Uh, Alex Crespo is a debut author. This is their first and is a queer trans Mexican American author who I feel like is writing for me. Um, this is pitched as Cemetery Boys meets The Haunting of Bly Manor. Hence, again, like writing for me. We all know how much I love Cemetery Boys. And it's a queer haunted house story. And what I, I mean, obviously I'm excited to read this book, but he's already announced his next project, which is called Queer Cianera, which like queer and quinceanera. And I'm like, oh, okay, sign me up twice. Like I'm, I'm here to stay. So this one is about three teens who have been brought together by these forces that lurk in the woods in this, this folly, St. Juniper's folly. So we have Jaime, well, I just decided it was Jaime Jamie. Jamie or Jaime, um, returning to this Vermont town of St. Juniper, trying to sort of escape this past that he spent a long time trying to forget. He's been between foster homes, kind of trying to do the whole fresh start thing. But it's a small town, so like everybody knows your name and knows your business. And so he's kind of just looking for some solitude and a little bit of a break and decides to, you know, journey off into these woods, St. Juniper's Folly, but doesn't ever come out, doesn't return. So then we have our second teen, who's Theo. And as also, you know, everybody is obviously in the same town in St. Juniper. He's kind of feeling like stagnant, stuck, like the there's must be more to this provincial life sort of thing. Um, 
but is uh, entering senior year, is just, again, feeling really restrained, but is like, you know what, I just need to kind of like take a break and find myself and find a way to like start fresh, also ventures into this folly and finds this very handsome young boy who is trapped, but like physically trapped inside this house in this folly. And then our last teen is Taylor, who her mom was like a really well-known and accomplished witch, but she suddenly died. And her dad in his, you know, grief and having lost his wife banned magic from the house after that. But she herself is, you know, developing powers as a witch and she doesn't have someone to guide her and is feeling kind of lost. And then she gets approached by Theo, you know, our second teen here, saying like, I have found this rounded house. There's a trapped boy inside. I need a witch. I need your help. Let's go. So that is what I know about this book so far. It's got so many of the things that I love in a book. I've had this one on my TBR for I don't know how long and actually started this like, I don't know, six months ago. (laughs) I just wasn't able to get past because of all, again, said disclaimers, but so much fun. I love it. Obviously, it's a great read for Pride, but you know me, I'll read like a kind of spooky version of a thing that doesn't sound like too, too scary (laughs) anytime. So right up my alley. I'm, I'm really excited for this debut and for everything that he's got going on next. So yeah, again, that is St. Juniper's Folly by Alex Crespo, and that was out on the 6th. All right. I did love that book. I actually talked about it on the show. It came out, the release date got moved. So I talked about it on its original release day. So no, no, boo. You got to talk about it. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yay, yay. And you will enjoy it. It's lots of fun. Yay. Great. I didn't realize that its date had been moved, so shows what I know. Story of our lives for the past like three years. No one should listen to me. Do I even know about books? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Alright, so my next pick is nonfiction, which is very rare for me these days. And it's amazing and you're going to hear about it everywhere. It is Better Living Through Birding Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World by Christian Cooper. Now, as you might have heard, birdwatching gained huge popularity Mm -hmm. during the early years of the pandemic. So many people have taken it up, myself included. You've heard me talk about birds all the time now. I love birds. I became like an amateur bird watcher in that I just watch the birds in my yard. Um, I don't really go anywhere else to see them. Uh, But that also sounds kind of cool to me. And, you know, I have binoculars and I keep a journal of what I saw and when I saw them. And I compare it to like the last year and whatever, the weather. I'm a nerd, okay? I'm a nerd. This is Christian Cooper's memoir, and he might now be the most famous living birdwatcher in America. He's doing shows for National Geographic and other nature programs. He is a black man who lives in New York City, and you might remember he came into the public eye in 2020 when he was watching birds in Central Park, and he asked a woman to put her dog on a leash, because those are the rules, and the dog was running around disturbing the birds. The woman, who was white, said she was going to call the police and tell them that there was an African-American in the park threatening to hurt her and her dog. Uh, She calls the police, but the whole exchange was caught on video. So instead, she was arrested for making a false report. It's terrible that it happened. It's fortunate, so fortunate that he wasn't hurt. And I guess if you look at the silver lining, we now have his book and his incredible knowledge about birds. And he has TV shows and hooray, because... He knows so much about birds and he intersperses this knowledge and his advice and tips about birding with stories of his life. He grew up what he calls a blurred, a black nerd, um, and he is also queer. And so being queer and a nerd as a young child, he said, made him feel very alone. His parents sent him to a woodworking camp. I think he was 
nine, and he built a birdhouse. And that's where he started uh, watching birds. He put up his birdhouse. He started watching birds in his backyard. And it's so cute. He talks about how like, he was watching these blackbirds, and then he saw a red-winged blackbird, which he didn't know what it was at the time. And he thought that he was, like, the first to see this bird with a red mark on its wing. And it's just so cute, like, to hear him talk about this as a kid. And, like, through the whole book, his passion and enthusiasm for seeing birds shines. It's infectious. He basically says, you're going to read this, and a lot of you are going to want to look at birds. And it's true. Like, I... I already look at birds and I'm so excited about it. You know, he talks about the joy of seeing one of the rarest birds in the country. Um, you know, to outsiders, it's a bunch of people just standing around looking up, you know, but he does an incredible job explaining the magic of bird watching. I mean, I love birds and reading this, I kept saying, yes, this, because I can't put this into words, but he can, you know, it's, it's amazing how he describes like how you feel and, and why we should look at birds and what nature does for us because, you know, it's like everything else, you know, like, you're supposed to exercise, and you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. You know, but, like, until you do it for yourself, it's like, eh, you know, they're right about this stuff. Going outside is good for you. But, like, until you do it, it's like, eh, but it's true, it's good for you. You know, and there's also, he talks a little bit about the incident in Central Park, but that doesn't define him. Now, this is a beautiful book for fans of memoirs and for nature, and it'll, at the very least, inspire you to go outside. I do want to give content warnings for... Mentions of racism and homophobia. And the thing that was wild about this book is that several weeks ago I read Loot, which I just raved about forever. And in the very first couple of pages, Abbas is watching a pigeon. And he's noting how it bobs its head when it walks. And he wonders why that is. And do they bob their heads when they fly? And how can he capture that bobbing motion in a toy that he wants to make? And then, after I read that book, I then read this book, this memoir... And at the beginning, Cooper talks about how robins run or hop everywhere, but pigeons always walk, and they always bob their heads as they go along. And I was like, what a coincidence! This is amazing. And then I watched, I went on YouTube and watched Bert sing and do in the pigeon, because that was one of my favorite songs on Sesame Street when I was a kid. And also you got to see Bert's legs, which you never got to see, so like that was like magic, because when I was small, seeing Bert's legs. Anyway, I'm I'm talking about Sesame Street now, but (laughs) this book is so good. It's so inspirational. I loved it. It's Better Living Through Birding. Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World by Christian Cooper. There has to be a word somewhere. I'm sure the Japanese have one because they have all these cool words for like when you don't necessarily have a giant interest in a thing, but the way someone describes it so passionately and joyously, like suddenly like you get joy from that description and then want to get into that thing. I had that in two measures between you describing the book and then you going off on your little like Sesame Street tangent. So whatever that (laughs) word is, I just experienced it. As a child, yeah. by the way, I could not be put down on the floor as a toddler if there were pigeons nearby because I was like, I, like my mission in life was to own one. Like I, I, I'd never seen anyone catch a pigeon, so I used to chase them like very aggressively, <laughs> and that was a thing. Like, like people lost me at Disneyland, like the stuff because I would just like pigeon go run. So this is a pigeon loving uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, I love pigeons, and let me tell you, I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but we did them dirty. You know, yep, like we sure bred did. them. To, to use them to be our friends, and, and then we abandon them, and now we treat them like, you know, street trash. Like little garbage monsters, yeah. Yeah. So, poor pigeons. Justice for pigeons. <laughs> if only we could have episode names on this show. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you have next for us? 
Uh, I have a shocking turn of events. I have a mythology book. <laughs> Look, I'm deeply into place and wanting to read the things that make me happy. I need plot and like, you know, yeah, things that I love. So this one is really cool. It's Psyche and Eros by Luna McNamara, which is described as a joyous and subversive tale of gods, monsters, and the human heart and soul. And again, me, I was like, mythology, cool, on board. Eros, for the, I'm sure you all know, but just to say it is the, uh, well, the, Ro- the Roman equivalent of Eros is Cupid. So this is like the Psyche and Cupid slash Psyche and Eros story. Um, I usually bore y'all with the background to the original myth. I won't do that today because you probably don't need me to, but this book is, again, a subversive take on that. So when the book opens, we know that an oracle has proclaimed this prophecy that the child of the king of Mycenae will defeat a monster that's feared even by the gods. And so everyone assumes this will be a boy, that this, you know, someone who's going to defeat a god, powerful, must be a boy, must be a man. Except, you know, surprise, Psyche arrives and she is a girl. So the king decides, like, F it, I'm going to train her like I would a boy. And so Psyche, you know, rebels against societal expectations for women and spends her whole youth like mastering the art of a fight of blade and bow as it says and side note the author apparently did take some liberties with like inserting other gods into these stories which is fine like it's a thing that natalie haynes also does because like ultimately the timelines of all this stuff are like completely fabricated but she is trained by the legendary female hero atalanta and then side side note upon side note, there's a cool book by Jennifer Saint all about Atalanta. But anyway, that's who trains her. So that's just kind of cool for mythology nerds. So then Psyche angers the goddess of love, Aphrodite, which is such a common thing in this, right? Like this is how all these stories start. Somebody really angers a god and then that god or goddess who's really petty and vengeful in return is like, I'm going to ruin your life. And so she sends her son, Eros, and the god of desire to deliver this really cruel curse. Except, so like Psyche is ready for battle. She goes to the mountain where she's going to like confront her fate when a gust of wind, who I think is actually the god of wind, is that her? Basically throws her off balance and like sweeps her away and lands her perfectly in this really lush and like magical home that belongs to a mysterious god. Psyche is confusion and scared because this god who will not show his face is claiming to be her husband, husband to be, but yeah, like we'll just say husband and also says he can't show his face because if he does, she will be burned alive. Thanks to this really terrible curse. But that God is really Eros. And he accidentally pricked himself with the arrow that was intended for Psyche that was supposed to curse her. So now he's the one who's cursed. And the actual curse is that the moment they set eyes on each other, they'll be torn apart forever. So they're obviously thrown together by fate the Trojan War is beginning to unfold. There's all kinds of powers at play trying to keep them apart. And in the story, like the regular myth, there are all kinds of like trials that Psyche has to go through to like, quote unquote, prove herself to Aphrodite after this misunderstanding. I imagine that's where some of this goes. But because it's subversive, it could take on a couple of completely different twists. And that's why I'm super jazzed to like get to the rest of this. So yeah, you know me, mythology that takes a story that we think we know and adds a little bit of complexity and hopefully... Um, you know, goes into the human nature a little bit and that depicts the gods for like the petty people that they are is right up my alley at all times. Really excited for this one. So again, that's Psyche and Eros by Luna McNamara. All right. I couldn't find the mute button. I was like, where did it go? Because I was looking at all the other places that we normally do, but you and I record on something else. So now for something completely different. Also, mythology, I cannot learn mythology for some reason. I've read tons of books with <laughs> with the gods and 
And, you know, but, like, every time I'm watching, like, a quiz show, it's, like, mythology. I'm, like, nuts. Because <laughs> I just, I cannot remember who they are. They're, like, these constellations. I don't know space either. So, it's, like, this constellation is named after mm-hmm. this god or goddess. And I'm, like, oh, well, well I'm, I'm out of luck. It won't, it won't <laughs> stick. Like, I don't know if my brain is full. Probably. Like, so I can't learn anything else. And I, I love reading mythology. I cannot remember who this was supposed to be. You know, I'll read a book and I'll be, like, oh, this is a retelling of this god and goddess and i'm like oh okay sure whatever Look, there's I enough in your brain it's okay seriously it's gonna spill over every time every time i tip forward i think i can hear it leaking it's just it's full um so those are books that we have read some of and all of and now <laughs> we are going to t- <laughs> yeah now we're going to talk about more of today's releases that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read i'm going to kick it off with You Can't Stay Here Forever by Catherine Lynn. I haven't read this yet, but it is a debut about a young widow who leaves California for the French Riviera when her husband dies in an accident. The main character discovers that he had a mistress, which she did not know about, and she's quite mad. So she cashes in his insurance policy, and she uses that money to travel to the French Riviera with her best friend, Mabel, which sounds like a good time. Uh, but their sunny vacation turns dark when they make friends with a mysterious couple. This is supposed to be a fabulous look at friendship and marriage and is being compared to Sally Rooney, who I haven't I haven't read yet still. Me neither. It's okay. I know, but like... <laughs> I know, I know. I don't know how these things happen. It just does. But yeah, so, so for Sally Rooney fans, this is exciting. I cannot, you know, I can neither confirm nor deny, but I've heard it's fantastic. It is called You Can't Stay Here Forever by Catherine Lynn. And Vanessa, what's your first book? My first one is Madalena and the Dark by Julia Fine, which uh, two things. One is pitched as the invisible life of Addie LaRue and Mexican Gothic, or like for fans of those books. And them some big words. So we'll see. And also it was blurred by Kelly Link, which I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna read this. And this one is a piece of historical fiction from the author of The Upstairs House and What Should Be Wild. It's set in 18th century Venice. And it's about this... Like, 15-year-old girl who wants nothing more than to be, like, an accomplished violinist. She goes to this really fancy uh, school called the, like, something, something de la Pieta, uh, where she's gonna... <laughs> oh, I've been there! That's actually what it's called. It's Hospedale de la Pieta. There you go. Because <laughs> um, she wants to, like, join this really prestigious, like, girls orchestra and become a protege of Vivaldi. And then she meets this other girl there named Madalena, who has been sent there after her family was embroiled in a scandal. So they're basically just like hiding her there to improve her marriage prospects. And then, you know, the two become friends. They both kind of realize that the other is a little more ambitious than maybe they let on. And we find out that Madalena has this like secret plot to rescue her family that may have a paranormal element. So yeah, it's supposed to be really like dark and lush and, you know, 18th century Venice and music and girl friendships. I, I sense some queer coding. Don't know for sure because again, I haven't read it. But yeah, that's where we're at. So that's my first pick. Madalena and the Dark by Julia Fine. Awesome. And now we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. 
haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet, we dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eilin for sponsoring this episode. All right. So my other pick for today, I haven't read yet, but I am very excited about it because it is from one of my autobi authors. And it is Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge, Intimate Confessions from a Happy Marriage by Helen Ellis. I know we've talked about Helen Ellis probably every book that she's had out since the show started. Like I said, she's an autobi. She's one of my favorites. I love following her on Instagram. She has books like the essay collection Southern Lady Code and the short story collection American Housewife. She is, as if she's a pistol. I think that's a really good, good adjective for her. She is just a delight and she is hilarious. She's also, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, she's an expert poker player. She taught Colson Whitehead how to play poker, and he became a professional poker player. He went on the professional circuit, uh, which he details in his book, The Noble Hustle. So if you want to hear more about that, pick up The Noble Hustle. But this is essays about a decades-long marriage that, you know, her marriage, um, and how she is still happy. Uh, she spent time quarantining with her husband during the pandemic, and it's about... They keep saying in the description how it makes her heart go pitter-patter still when she sees him, uh, which is, sounds so nice. It's also about the Coral Lounge, which is a room in their apartment, which is painted coral, and where her friends gather and they watch puzzles and gossip and have lots of fun. And it just sounds like a delight. So I'm going to check it out. It's Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge, Intimate Confessions from a Happy Marriage by Helen Ellis. I loved the way you said you're like, oh, and then her heart goes pitter patter. And like, that sounds nice, which I know you are in like a loving relationship. But I was so laughing. Like <laughs> if I had said it that way, it would have sounded like, yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> but it does. It actually does sound very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pete. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, 
Um, my next pick is one that I was also super jazzed to pick up. Not an autobuy in the sense that I think maybe this is her first book. I actually can't recall, but just because I really enjoy this author's other stuff that they do. And that is Wannabe by Aisha Harris. Oh my gosh, this book actually has a longer title that I forgot to write down. I think it is Wannabe. Oh, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. So Aisha Harris is maybe somebody you know. She's the co-host and critic for NPR's podcast Pop Culture Happy Hour. She's also written a ton for New York Times and I think Slate. And so she's you know, obviously made a name for herself as somebody who is all up in discussions of culture and, you know, critique. And this book is her, like, very personal take on all of the culture that, as she says, shaped her. So she's taken a look at stuff from days of yore, sort of turning those talents, you know, inward to look at her 90s childhood. And she analyzes the tropes that she remembers, or like, at least now knows, you know, shaped her then, are shaping all of us now. And as the pitch says, and our ability to shape them right back. Again, I haven't read this one yet, but I know she really goes into the evolution of the black friend trope, which apparently has uh, Twainian origins. And she talks about the Spice Girls, about uh, shows like Clueless, movies like Sleepless in Seattle, about how she took her dating cues from rom-coms like Sleepless in Seattle, which as a person who also um, did not identify with, you know, like the cultural mainstream and was, you know, a little... Latina girl trying to see myself in shows like I cannot wait to dive into this and see you know what she kind of uncovers from that Uh, really really looking forward to her analysis of the way the very slim way that black and brown characters were treated in film and tv throughout the 90s and that continue to be so now in spite of how many strides we've made Um, she's just really really I love listening to her critique and her her takes on culture definitely check out the podcast if you haven't but yeah this sounds like a lot of fun and it's a Pretty slim, slim little book. Um, So that again is Wannabe by Aisha Harris. Okay. Those are books that we are excited about. And now I'm going to tell you about a few hardcovers that are out in paperback today. Starting with The Last White Man by Mohsin Hamid. He is the author of The Reluctant Fundamentalist and Exit West, which is a book riot favorite and is supposedly going to be a show or movie or something soon. This is a fable in which people wake up one day and the color of their skin has started changing all across the globe. Venomous Lump Sucker by Ned Bowman. I love him. I love his book, The Teleportation Accident. It has my third favorite ending. Uh, Yes, I keep track of these things. The other two being Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead and Zeroville. Um, I wrote the title down, Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead, which makes me laugh. (laughs) But this one is set in the future. It's about a cyber attack that destroys all the preserved DNA in biobanks, meaning all the DNA they've preserved from animals that have gone extinct, uh, and the two people who work in the extinction industry who are trying to save the venomous lump sucker. It's got quite the cover. You should check it out. Counterfeit by Kirsten Chen, about a young lawyer and mother at a crossroads in her life who is approached by an old college roommate who enlists her in a counterfeit handbag scheme. You know that's going to be trouble, though, because at the very beginning, she is telling her story to the police. One of my favorites from last year, which I raved about on the show, but a backstory by Heather Radke. I think now I can officially say this. Baby got backlist. It's officially backlist (laughs) because it's in paperback. I loved this book. Who knew there was so much to learn about butts? Not me. This is one of those, did you know books that you're just going to read and be like, did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Like, I did not know that we were the only mammals that had butts, like butts that protrude from our bodies. But that is just like one of the very many things that I learned from this book. It's so fun. 
And you made a fool of death with your beauty by Akweke Amezi. Amezi is the author of Freshwater, The Death of Vivek Oji, Pet. This is their first romance novel. Although if I remember correctly from their interview with Trevor Noah, there are going to be more romance novels. This one is about an artist who lost her great love five years ago in an accident and thinks that she is ready to test the dating waters again. So those are some great books out in paperback today. Vanessa, what are you going to read next? I swear I'm actually like getting back into reading this week now that I've got some clarity on, you know. I thought you were going to say dating because <laughs> we were talking about that. Yeah, you know. I was like, hey, everyone. Okay. <laughs> special episode today. Vanessa gets into her dating life. No. Uh, I've actually like literally downloaded this audiobook because I was so jazzed when I saw it and was going to talk about it today, but I found out the release date got moved to next week. Uh, so that's The Shadow Cabinet by Juno Dawson, which is the follow up to, oh my gosh, of course, I cannot remember the name of this book right now. Her Royal Her Majesty? Royal Maje- yeah, Her Majesty's Royal Coven, I think. There we go. That's it. Yeah. I still haven't read it. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's uh, it's queer. It is like a, you know, it's it's magic school vibes. I think last time I described it as like, if you're looking for magic and magic school stuff, but like, don't want to support a raging transphobe and like, like read this series instead. The last one ended on a total cliffhanger as Jamie and I were talking about recently. <laughs> so I'm going to go listen to the last couple chapters of that and then dive into this one because it's officially in my hot little hands. And I'm so excited to see where this goes. Um, and for those of you that do audiobook, the narrator does a like chef's kiss, chef's kiss. There you go. Chef's kiss job with the very like sweary dialogue. Just oh, so good. You're going to want to like pause parts of them and just just to laugh out loud. So that's what I'm doing. How about you? Well, I am looking to make sure that the mute button is not on. First of all. <laughs> <laughs> We're having some technical problems with me not being able to find the mute button. So uh, both of the books that I'm reading right now, you might notice or not, are Little Brown titles because I watched a publisher event last week, and I'm very excited about both of these. One is The Mad Stone by Elizabeth Crook, whose novel The Witch Way Tree is one of my very favorites. And The Mad Stone comes out in November. And also, Everything I Learned, I Learned in a Chinese Restaurant, a memoir by Curtis Chin, who is just a delight to watch on this publisher event. This is about when he grew up in a Chinese restaurant in Detroit and all the famous people they met and all the opportunities it afforded him, but also, like, he thought that might always be his life and then it wasn't. And also, his family was friends with Vincent Chin, who was the victim of a hate crime. He was murdered by uh, two white men who blamed him for the closing of a plant, I believe, or the the loss of jobs or something, uh, and were given, like, a three-week suspended sentence for murdering this man. There's a There's an amazing young adult book about this case, if you haven't heard of it. But I'm getting off track. So, yeah, I'm also reading that uh, and, you know, everything else. Some Sally Rooney, probably. <laughs> Maybe some Juno Dawson. I don't know. So that is it for us today. I feel like it was a short episode, but also you've got a lot going on. I sprained my thumb and can't really type or turn buttons or anything. So... Maybe that's why I can't find the mute button. It's all psychological. Um, so that is it for us today, friends. You can check out the deep dive at bookriot.substack.com. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can tell us about your zip code, but make sure you tell us about it like a few weeks ahead of time so that, you know, if you want a shout out, I can say it before we record the episode. Uh, and you can find us online. Vanessa, where do you hang out? Uh, lately, I've been hanging out uh, at my parents' house, but generally speaking, once I get back <laughs> onto it, I'll be on the gram at Buenos Dias SD. <laughs> All right. And I hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. I also have been exploring the 
blue sky, but like the address is, is so much work to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like B-L-K-S-K-Y dot app. Okay, that wasn't that hard, I guess. Um, <laughs> but if, if you're, it's in beta, but if you're there, you can find me. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts uh, and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy reading. reading.